What's up everybody, GenX Dividend Investor here. In this insightful video I answer 7 fascinating subscriber questions primarily about dividend investing. So if you appreciate when I do free dividend investing videos like this then please hit that thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. Also if you'd like me to answer a question of yours in a future video like this then follow me on Instagram at GenX Dividend Investor and DM me your questions. If you do send me a question then please tell me if there is any part of your name or question that you don't want me to show. Okay, and while I've been investing for about 30 years and have been able to retire early once my dividend income grew larger than my expenses, I'm not a licensed professional financial advisor, so treat what I say as entertainment only. The first question comes from Cashflow Investor who asked, How much emphasis or value do I place on yield on cost? Thanks Cashflow. So as a refresher, I'll first talk about dividend yield before I elaborate about yield on cost. Dividend yield is a percentage that represents how much a company pays out in dividends in a year divided by their current share price. Like this is what you'll see if you search for McDonald's on Seeking Alpha and then you click on the Dividends tab. We see that McDonald's is trading at $277 a share and is a tiny bit red today and if we look down at the Dividend Summary section we see that the current yield is 2.19% and that the annual dividend payout is $6.08 per share per year. So if you divide $6.08 by 277 you get that 2.19% dividend yield. If McDonald's pays out $6.08 per share per year and we see that their dividend frequency is quarterly then that means they pay out $6.08 divided by the four quarters which means they pay out $1.52 per share per quarter. That means that if you had 100 shares of McDonald's then they would pay you $152 bucks every three months. 100 shares of McDonald's would be worth almost 28 grand. If you wanted to know how much dividends you'd be getting per year then there are two easy ways to estimate that. Number one is to take your 100 shares and multiply them by the $6.08 per share payout which means you'd get $608 a year in dividends. Or number two, you take your position size of $27,700 and multiply it by the current dividend yield, which is 2.19%, and you'd also get to that $608 per year. And remember, since stock price changes throughout the trading day, that means yield changes throughout the trading day, but the amount a company pays out in dividends isn't changing, which will tie into the next question I'll answer. Like let's say that McDonald's fell to 220 bucks today. Well, then its yield would be $6.08 per share per year divided by 220, which equals 2.76%. So as the stock price drops, the yield goes up, and yield's an indicator for how much you'd make if you invested today. But if you had already invested and had shares, then stock price changing wouldn't impact your payout. The only thing that would change your payout is if the board of directors votes to increase or decrease your dividend, or if you buy, drip, or sell shares. I'm actually expecting a dividend hike to be announced from McDonald's this month. In fact, I ran a poll on X a week ago, asking folks how much they guess that McDonald's will increase their dividend by. Historically, McDonald's often announces their annual dividend hike in the second half of September, but they have done them in October and November as well. And in this case, 55% of people who voted guessed that McDonald's would increase it by less than 6% this year, though I'm hoping for more. Anyways, let's assume that McDonald's does indeed increase it less than 6%, perhaps does 5%. That means that instead of $6.08 per share per year, they'd be paying out $6.38 per share per year, which is 5% more. We saw that when they were paying $6.08 per share at a price of 277 the yield was 2.19%. But at $6.38 a year at 277 bucks, the yield would go to around 2.3%. And your 100 shares would be yielding $638 a year, not $608 a year. Which brings us to yield on cost. Yield on cost is a measure of dividend yield calculated by dividing a stock's current dividend by the price you initially paid for the stock. So the more a company hikes their dividend, the more your yield on cost grows. 
Like in that example of someone who buys 100 shares at $277 per share, when McDonald's is paying out $6.08 per share per year, means they invested $27,700, and their average price per share is obviously $277. Let's pretend 10 years goes by, and now McDonald's dividend has been raised to $13 a share, which means they've been doing 8% dividend hikes each year. And we'll pretend that the share price has been going up a bit slower at a 6% increase each year. That means the share price would be at $496 a share. A $13 dividend when McDonald's is at $496 means a 2.6% current yield, so a $100 investment would yield $2.60 a year in dividends. But that person's yield on cost of their initial tranche of 100 shares would be the $13 dividend divided by their average cost per share of $277, which equals 4.69%. Thus, yield on cost gives you some understanding of the dividend return you've had over that time frame. I actually did a whole video about yield on cost called Dividend Yield on Cost, Why Some Love It and Some Don't, which I recommend you watch as I do a deep dive into things, including various other interpretations of it. So to answer Cashflow's question, I personally don't put too much value or emphasis on it. I mean, it is a motivating metric to feel like you're earning a large yield based on your original investment, but it doesn't necessarily give you an accurate understanding of how the stock is doing right now, and worst case it causes you to take actions which aren't ideal. I mean, sure, it does help you understand some aspect of dividend growth that has occurred, and don't forget to factor in that if you bought, sold, or dripped shares, along with be aware of any hikes or cuts that may have happened. You have to be careful to realize that just because one stock's yield on cost is higher than the current yield of another stock does not mean it's either automatically better or worse. And a downside of yield on cost is that it isn't telling you about total return, so be aware of that. Like a high yield on cost on a stock whose price has continually fallen for a decade might not be something you want to stick with. Or it could be, it just depends. The key point is to educate yourself on the pros and cons of metrics, and realize that any one metric won't tell you the full story about a company, though it can help paint the picture. And congrats to everyone for watching videos like this to help you continually level up your dividend knowledge. Okay, let's move on. The next question, which is related to the previous one, came from someone on my Discord who said, I don't get it. If the stock price drops and the yield goes up, wouldn't that be a big risk for the companies to pay out more and more in dividends? So this is a good question as it's one that multiple people have asked about over time. First take a look at this picture I found on X by a user named Vlad Bastion. It's a list of the companies in the US that pay out the most dividends, and what you might be surprised to see is that Microsoft paid out $19.8 billion of dividends in the last 12 months, more than any other company, even with their small 0.8% dividend yield. McDonald's, that we were just talking about, is 35th on this list of US companies that pay out the most in dividends. Apple is number 2 on the list, so isn't it interesting that the two lowest yielders also happen to pay out the most? And note, Microsoft just announced a 10.3% dividend hike. That means that instead of paying out $19.8 in a year, they should pay out $21.8 in dividends, assuming they don't do buybacks, which I'll elaborate on in a moment. So Microsoft's stock could fall 50% or whatever, and they would still pay out the same amount of dividends, even though their yield would have doubled. And why is that? Well, because their dividend payout isn't based on the stock price, it's based on the number of outstanding shares there are, combined with the amount they pay out per share. So no, it's not a big risk from a dividend payout perspective if the share price drops a bunch causing the yield to go up. It just means that for anyone buying at these lower prices, they are getting more bang for their buck than someone who bought when the yield was lower. Now let's look at shares and buybacks for a second. This beautiful downward trend of Microsoft shares outstanding is due to them doing massive annual buybacks, leading to less and less shares. Like in 2010, Microsoft had almost 9 billion shares outstanding. Today they have only 7.4 billion shares. That means that investors who have held onto their Microsoft shares for a few years are continually owning more and more of the company, even though they aren't actually doing anything themselves. Buybacks also help drive up earnings per share, and the stock price usually follows earnings. The other cool thing about buybacks is that doing them makes the dividend payout more sustainable. 
Like we see that Microsoft pays out $2.72 per share per year, and if there are 7.4 billion shares outstanding, then that means they pay out around 20 billion a year in dividends. But if they retire 10% of their shares this year via buybacks, taking them down to 6.66 billion shares, then they would only pay out about 18 billion a year in dividends because 6.66 times 2.72 is 18-ish. So each buyback they do makes their dividend more sustainable because there are less shares they have to pay out on. That also means a 10% buyback can basically cancel out the impact of doing a 10% dividend increase. Like 6.66 billion shares at 10% more than $2.72 is 6.66 billion times 2.99, which equals about 20 billion, which is where they were before the buybacks and the dividend hike. And that's part of the reason I like buybacks and I like dividends. The buyback makes the dividend more sustainable, and it allows the management team to push for more dividend hikes in the future without impacting them too much, and buybacks help drive the share price up as well. Okay, let's move on to question number three of seven. This one comes from Isaac who said, Say I start a dividend portfolio now, and in 20 years it becomes 300 grand. Now say I invest in growth, and in 20 years it becomes 300 grand, which I then convert into a dividend portfolio. Would there be a difference in income or the compounding between the two? Is there a difference between starting the dividend compounding now as opposed to later if the dollar amount is the same? Hey Isaac, the answer is not really, at least in the way you're probably thinking. And in fact, a common strategy that some investors follow is to first focus on building a portfolio that has the most stock appreciation, perhaps just going with VTI or VU for the first few decades. And then once they get closer to retirement, they start shifting into higher yield things, assuming they want more dividends instead of selling shares. So if you had $2.8 million and you went out and bought the same stocks as I have, then we're at effectively the same point, and just my average cost per share and cost basis and such would be different. But who cares? And we would both be getting the same amount of dividends, and we would be both having the same potential for future compounding growth. Now I wouldn't recommend doing that, because some of my positions are overpriced as of today, but you could choose to do that if you wanted. What I mean is that there isn't some magical compounding aspect I'd have from holding my stocks longer, I'd just have some ego metrics like a yield on cost that would be higher than yours, but again, who cares about that? So the best bet for most people is to focus on what will yield the best total returns from stock appreciation and dividends, along with they need to be aware of the account type the stocks are held in, and the type of stocks and stuff like that. Like if a stock is paying dividends, then holding it in a retirement account is nice, because you generally don't have to worry about paying taxes on those dividends, and the compounding from having your drip on can really build up as the decades go on. And a huge dividend yield or a huge dividend CAGR is kind of moot if the stock price keeps falling, as your total potential returns may be suffering more than the dividends are compensating for. But some people are okay sacrificing some total return in favor of the simplicity and passivity of dividends, and so you've got to figure out what makes sense for you. It may be financially smarter to just sell shares when you want income, and the bottom line point is again to educate yourself to pros and cons, so that you can weigh the impacts of various actions to optimize things for yourself. Okay, let's move on. The fourth question comes from Georgios, who said, Gen X, I'm a dividend investor and I've been buying Target for a while. Your opinion would be very helpful, thanks. Hey dude, so Target's yield looks nice at a 3.6%, its payout ratio looks good at 59%, its 5-year dividend growth rate has been awesome at 11.6%, and its dividend growth has been spectacular at 54 consecutive years. But its ticker history shows that it's had a rough time lately, and you can see that in the last two years it's down 54%. That being said, it was overpriced in my estimates, and it is actually still a tad expensive from where I sit, but it's getting closer to my calculation of its intrinsic value, which is around 110 bucks a share, so I'd personally get more interested under 100 bucks a share. But what is going on with Target? Well, most of Target's merchandise is discretionary, which means consumers don't have to have it. Like people gotta have groceries, but things like clothing, electronics, toys, and stuff like that is all non-essential. And when inflation is high and people have to cut back, it's the discretionary stuff that people don't need, which can lead to companies like Target having a harder time. 
But more than that has been going on. There has also been a backlash from some buyers due to Target's support, and then lack of support, for LGBTQ stuff. So first they irked some conservatives with their pride displays, and then when they stepped away from that, the LGBTQ community got irked, leaving Target in a lose-lose state with many of those customers. And as they lose some consumers, then places like Walmart jump in and eat that market share. Combine that with retail thefts increasing and employee concerns about wages, and Target looks less and less compelling. But recently Target management reported improved traffic, so perhaps those recent issues are being overcome. I mean, people love their Target and memories are short. However, you also have consumer debt spiraling, the student loan pause stoppage, and Target had some inventory stacking up due to lower sales, which led them to trying to mark stuff down, and margins and such had issues, which wasn't looking great. That all being said, I think their future looks better than their past, and growth projections on both the top and bottom lines look good to me. In the short term, I think Target will be impacted, either up or down, based on if we slip into a real recession or not. Lately, their revenue growth has been lacking a bit, and the post-pandemic jump they got also leads to an inevitable growth slowdown relative to where they were, and they've had supply chain cost issues, like many businesses out there. So if inflation gradually trends the Fed's Target goal, then that will probably help Target, but if inflation goes up, 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 then Target probably won't be feeling too good. Bottom line, Target might not be at my calculation for its intrinsic value, but it is at a much more reasonable price, so I'd be fine telling a relative of mine to start nibbling at Target at this price point, as long as they understood the risks. Of course, if we do go into a protracted recession, then you gotta be okay with more price drops, and if you can't handle that, then I wouldn't invest right now. Okay, on to question number five. This one comes from Patrick who said, Can you please explain how to calculate the dividend growth rate of a complete portfolio of approximately 20 stocks? I want my dividend portfolio to grow 7-10% to each year. Hey Patrick, so first I'd start a spreadsheet. In the first column, list your tickers, and to do this quickly I'll start with pretending that you have Microsoft and Verizon. Then have a column that lists the current stock's price, then a column with your number of shares, so I'll pretend I have 3 shares of Microsoft and 7 of Verizon. Then a column that lists your total value of each position, which is just the stock price times the number of shares. At the bottom of that column you can list the total value of the portfolio, which is the sum of all those individual stocks' values. The next column is for the percentage that each stock is in your portfolio, which is its total value divided by the portfolio total sum we just calculated. Then let's have a column for each stock's 5-year dividend CAGR, which we can look up on Seeking Alpha. In this case we see that it says that Microsoft has a 10% 5-year dividend CAGR, which means on average each year it has increased its dividend by 10% per year for the last 5 years. And we can see that Verizon has a low 5-year dividend CAGR of only 2% a year. Note, estimating like this means we're assuming that the future growth rates of dividend hikes will be like they have been in the last 5 years. Okay, then you list the stock's weighted 5-year dividend CAGR, which is its 5-year dividend CAGR multiplied by the percent of the portfolio. Then you sum up all those stock's weighted CAGRs to arrive at your portfolio's overall average weighted 5-year dividend CAGR, which in this case is 8.58%. That makes sense when you think about it, as it's closer to Microsoft CAGR than Verizon, because Microsoft is around 81% of your portfolio. Now that process I just did for two stocks, you could do for however many stocks you had in your portfolio. Let's do another quick example. In this case, Verizon is about 50% of your portfolio, and we see that the portfolio's average weighted CAGR gets dragged down to 6%, which makes sense, as it's now half of Microsoft's 10% CAGR and half of Verizon's 2% CAGR. But what would you do if you wanted to use a 3-year dividend CAGR rather than rely on seeking out those 5-year ones they have? Well, the formula looks like this. It's today's annual dividend divided by the dividend from 3 years ago to the power of 1 over 3 minus 1. Let's use Microsoft's dividend history on seeking alpha to look up historical amounts. So here it shows us that Microsoft recently paid out 75 cents per share. 3 years ago in 2020, this shows us that Microsoft was paying 56 cents per share. So putting those into a spreadsheet, 
0.75 divided by 0.56 and all that to the power of 1 over 3 and then all that minus 1. The 3 stands for 3 years. If you wanted to calculate an 8 year dividend CAGR then you'd look up what their payout was 8 years ago and plug that in and then do it to the power of 1 over 8. And now that you understand all that, part of your stock selection criteria would be stocks that have larger dividend growth rates, on average, to push your portfolio CAGR up to the desired 7-10% range or whatever amount you wanted. Usually the lower the yield, the higher the dividend CAGR, and the higher the yield, the lower the CAGR. Like Microsoft has a nice 10% dividend CAGR, but also has a very low 0.7% yield. Or Verizon has a higher yield, but a low CAGR. Now the younger you are, the more you probably should want the higher dividend CAGRs, probably because those will grow more. Or don't worry about dividends at all, and honestly just invest in whatever you think will enable the best total returns, which again is probably VTI or VU. That being said, if you needed income now, and wanted it from dividends, then you might start favoring some yield over CAGR, though never blindly chase stuff just for yield, without understanding the risks. Hopefully all that makes sense, so now let's move on to question number 6. This one is from Fitness who said, Hey man, I'm a huge fan of yours and I mean you literally changed my life. I really respect your work and your mindset, I just wanted to ask you some questions if I may. So basically I have kind of the same background as yours, but I'm from Europe, born in a poor country, went to university but dropped out so I can work in another country to help my family. I'm 24 with 100k in mostly growing dividend stocks like Microsoft, Intel, O, J&J, Pepsi, ArcC, UNP, AbbVie, Stag, HD, Starbucks, JPM, McDonald's, T-Row, Verizon, stuff like that. And the thing is I have 90% of my wealth in dividends and I don't know what to do. And I have 5% in crypto, but that lost already 70% of its value, so there is no need for me to sell it this time, so I'll just wait for the next bull cycle. But what would you do if you were in my skin? Would you sell your dividend stocks in hopes that you will buy in at a much lower price? I'm currently making like 300 to 500 in dividends a month, and I want to live off dividends so I can leave my job because it's so toxic. Hey fitness, thanks, I really appreciate the kind words, and I'm sorry to hear that your job is so toxic. I've been there so I know how that can feel. But congratulations for building a 100k dividend portfolio at only 24 years old, as you're way ahead of where I was at your age. I think holding 5% of your investable assets into riskier things like crypto is a reasonable bet at your age, or you could just put it all into solid stocks. And no, I'd not sell out of my stocks and try to buy once they crash, as that rarely plays out well, not to mention you often have tax implications to deal with. I've found it easier and better to just keep acquiring decent stuff, and if you have a position or two you aren't liking, then consider moving out of those and into something else you like more. Most of your stocks look pretty solid, so it looks like you're on the right track, just keep building your assets. And I applaud you for helping your family out, as well as managing your own life, congrats on all that. Keep pushing forward and I think you'll be blown away at where you'll end up in a decade or two. Okay, let's move on. This last question comes from someone on my Discord who is asking me why I spend so much effort on YouTube when I could be sipping margaritas on the beach. And while I've answered this to various degrees in previous videos, I thought it'd be helpful to quickly summarize things here. Now a big reason I do this is because I'm passionate about educating others to the power of investing, and particularly dividend growth investing. Dividends have been such a positive life-changing aspect for me that I want everyone to experience it. Another big reason I do social media is because I want to make sure that my kids will have access to my thoughts via my videos once they're old enough to care. My wife showed me this thing about people and their motivations, and it was what gives people meaning and happiness in life, which is a combination of four things. Number one is control over what they're doing. Number two is progress in whatever their goals they're pursuing. Number three is being connected with others. And number four is being part of something they enjoy that's bigger than themselves. My social media stuff checks all four boxes. Number one, I'm in the driver's seat with doing videos and being on my Discord or on Twitter or on Instagram or wherever, and I can quit or do more or etc. I don't have a boss and it's not something I have to do, it's what I enjoy doing and have total control over what I do and when I do it. 
Number two, I love seeing progress in achieving my goals, which are to educate more people. Plus, it's fun to see my view time metrics and subscriber counts and such all go up. Number three, I'm constantly meeting new people and forming online friendships with tons of folks, whether that's in my comments or DMs or day-to-day -day Discord chats or whatever. Number four, I feel like what I'm doing is truly contributing to society, and I'm literally helping change people's lives, and my videos and content will persist long after I'm six feet under, which is an incredible feeling. I truly am grateful that you guys have chosen to watch my videos and follow me on Twitter and join my Discord and Instagram, as I realize that you can do whatever you want with your time, so thank you from the bottom of my heart. Hopefully all that makes sense and answers the question of why I do it, including because I realize that retired people that keep their minds active end up enjoying their lives more. And that wraps up my subscriber questions for this video. I hope you guys enjoyed all that, and I'm sorry if I couldn't get to your question if you submitted one. I've got a long list of questions I've been asked, so I can't guarantee that I'll get to everyone's in a video, but I'll do my best. If it's really important, you can always see if I have a Patreon king slot open, which lets us chat voice one-on-one, -on -one, though I don't have any king spots available at this time. If you'd like me to potentially answer a question of yours in a future Millionaire Dividend Investing Questions and Answers video, then follow me on Instagram at GenXDividendInvestor and DM me your questions. If you do send me a question, then tell me if there's any part of your name or question that you don't want me to share. And now I'd normally do a shout out of my latest Patreon aristocrats and kings, but I'm still all sold out. So instead I'll thank my all-star Patreons, I, those supporters that have been signed up to my Patreon for over a year and continue to stay on board. First I'll thank my longtime kings, which are my highest tier of Patreon supporters. Then I'll thank my longtime aristocrats. And finally I'll thank my Patreon champions. Thanks folks, I really appreciate your long-term support. Finally, I'd like to thank Seeking Alpha who sponsors me. I paid for their premium membership for years because I valued their articles and associated comments so much. And these days I'd literally never buy or sell a stock without first reviewing what Seeking Alpha had on it. So I recommend you sign up to them using my affiliate link in the description of this video, as using it often comes with benefits for new member signups. Whatever you do, please hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. And I highly recommend that you join my free Dividend Discord chat server, which has over 10,000 dividend investors on it from 76 countries around the world. Also, please follow me at GenXDividend on X. Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. I am not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.